You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about villains. Yes, it's a topic-based podcast this time, so we're going to talk about all kinds of villains from all kinds of different media, so I hope that you enjoy that. In other news, Beth and I are still watching through Godzilla movies. We're still watching Samurai films. We're still watching Warehouse 13. And we're still watching Dragon Ball Super. So there's not a whole lot of a different there. Things are just kind of chugging along. The kids are kind of getting to the end of their school year. I believe I've reported before that Beth and I are fully vaccinated, and now with the news that children down to 12 years old can get vaccinated, I can get my oldest daughter vaccinated, which is good, and so then it will only be my youngest who will be unvaccinated in our house, so we're still going to have to maintain precautions. Definitely don't want to become carriers for the virus and bring it home to my youngest, especially with how some of the effects can be long-lasting. And although children tend not to get it as bad as adults do on average, some children do get very bad cases and they do get damage that will stay with them their entire lives. So still kind of worrying, still hoping that enough adults, uh, well, basically anyone over 12, I'm still hoping that a large amount of the population over the age of 12 will get vaccinated and we can actually stop this thing from spreading so that we can keep our children safe. Although I'm hoping that they're also testing now the vaccine on even younger children to see if they can qualify also. So hopefully they can get vaccines in the near future as well. So we'll have to see how all that goes. And I don't really want to be a downer talking about that kind of stuff on the podcast. But this is a really fun episode. It was something where I really wanted to get back to doing just, you know, and I don't want every episode to be a TV show or a movie. I want to get broader in some of our topics and i have some ideas on different ways that we can go with that but just watch this space and you'll see what we come up with but for now that's all in the planning stages but hope you enjoy the episode and now without further ado we're going to go there let's meet our cast for this week so starting off you know her as my co-host talking about doctor who and that is my buddy juliet how are you doing juliet doing okay I, it, how are you doing uh i'm doing all right um 
little stressful because I had to, you know, hurry up and wolf down some food before getting on the podcast, but otherwise I'm, I'm doing okay. No, that's cool. You know, I wolfed down two shots of fireball, so it, it all works out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's okay. That's just uh, giving you a little buzz for the podcast, right? Hey, you know, whatever helps you out. But that's... no, it's been, it's been good. Uh, I did a, I did a seven and a a seven and a half kilometer run this morning and I'm mm. turning 40 on Tuesday. So I'm like, yeah, let's just do all the things while we're stuck at home. By the way, I run laps in my house for anybody who's curious. I don't have a treadmill. So I just run laps. Oh, okay. See all the pictures you take. It looks like I can see like trees around you. So I oh, assumed you, you were outside. You can because I go out in my backyard for the cool pictures. Oh, oh <laughs> okay. It's nearly as cool in my house where I do <laughs> laps because each lap maybe takes uh 30 steps so they're really tiny laps it's so sad okay gotcha yeah um you can run a few laps for me because (laughs) (laughs) i probably should be running but i'm not because i i hit 40 back in january so um yeah i'm i i've i've crested the hill and i'm going down the other side so i'm sorry i shouldn't bring that up when you're about to turn 40 Like, seriously, though, my knees were like, oh, my God, what the hell are you doing thinking about taking this up at 39? And now we're about to turn 40. And I actually have a medal waiting for me that says happy birthday to me. So Mm. I have to run a 5K on my birthday to earn this medal. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm weird. That's great. well hey whatever whatever works for you you know whatever whatever makes you feel better whatever you enjoy oh no i don't even enjoy it (laughs) i don't even know why i'm running i'm running to find out what happens in the story of this app that's all i'm doing so it's not for your health or anything you just want to run or you just want to find out what happens in the app pretty much at at this point i think that's all it is (laughs) well that sounds like fun thank you (laughs) so 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 um how are you enjoying watching doctor who from the beginning oh my gosh um i was so excited that our our current episode just got posted because fall fashion and dione is they are like my favorite things about the dalek episodes besides the daleks who you know i love the daleks but don't get me wrong i want to i i still want her to come back and you know lead an army or something (laughs) no i'm loving doctor who it's fantastic it's like I grew up on watching old westerns and stuff mm. like that, so watching older shows doesn't bother me. And I think it's really cool to see where my doctor started from because my doctor is the ninth doctor. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very happy to have you with me on this because I I've been watching the show since I was five, so like I've seen everything like you know twenty times over. So it is nice to have like the fresh pair of eyes. And you mean like the fresh pair of eyes that pointed out that he was holding a pen light in the very first yeah. pilot? <laughs> like what the hell all right to be fair the unaired pilot i haven't watched that many (laughs) times because it's not really a real episode it was yeah but uh yeah (laughs) but yeah that is a detail i never noticed and i had seen it a few times before it's awesome i love doing the show with you it's fantastic (laughs) all right awesome so that is that is me using juliet the plug so anyone out there (laughs) if you're interested in time streams uh check it out (laughs) all right it's good to have you back on the show juliet good to be here all right uh next up uh he is a guy that absolutely loves voltron he loves anime and so i'm going to release the kraken how are you doing eric i'm doing well and and yourself i'm doing okay and uh so what's been going on for you since uh, i mean i don't know it's probably been because the green we did that green lantern podcast um so yeah we did that one and we did the anime podcast and uh 
but i think the green lantern one was the most that was the most recent one you've done is what i'm saying and that was probably like a couple months ago so right right. yeah so so how how have you been doing since then uh just trying to stay sane playing a lot of video games playing with my daughter I am not running laps around my house, <laughs> but I do have a, a set of stairs that I climb several dozen times a day. So, mm. that's, so that's my workout. So are you able to do your job from home or are you going out? Uh, I can do, yes, I can do it from home. Okay, good, good. Yeah, because that's always the thing. Like, like my wife works retail and so it's like she has to go and out there into the wild west where uh you know nobody wears their mask and uh you know it's kind of dangerous so um, her facebook horror stories are a one of the things that get me out of bed <laughs> well i'm glad i'm glad it's helpful to some people <laughs> yeah now, now we're trying to normalize the term rat liquor for people who don't wear their masks correctly or at all is that like a plague reference it something? is a plague reference yes that is correct <laughs> <laughs> there was a facebook post about it that we both shared and uh we're like that's this is the term this is what we got to use fair enough try not to lick any rats people that's right. <sighs> so uh so yeah like so what kind of things do you play with your daughter you know we just started in on super mario world mm. uh, like i've got the switch and you know super and, and and that comes with a bunch of games on it and she enjoys watching me play it but she started wanting to play it herself. So I started up a profile for her and uh, she can walk left <laughs> or she can jump, but she can't do both. <laughs> We're getting it. Yeah. yeah. It was like three years ago that I, that I uh, introduced my kids to the first Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and I was just like, it, it just kind of startled me, you know, because I was like five when I played Super Mario Brothers the first time. And it just kind of startled me because my youngest is six and just like how like difficult she found just like the basic, like, you know, maneuvering of the game. And I was just like, okay, so (laughs) it really is a different world now where people have different skills and stuff because I didn't think that I needed any prior training for Super Mario. It's just like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is what the buttons do and just go. It it's not exactly an easy game, like especially if you go through and play it the way you're supposed to, and don't use any like warps. Oh you know, no, I agree with that. No, I wasn't expecting them to go through like all eight worlds, but I'm just you know like get past like world one one, you know <laughs> kind of thing, you know, because I'm pretty sure my first time playing, I at least got to one three. I mean, not the first, like my first session, like after like dying a few times. You know, but you know, it was so it was kind of interesting to uh, to watch them play. My my uh, my older daughter before she lost interest did get up to one four. Um, she played a little bit more, but she just kind of was like, "I don't like this game." <laughs> well, when there are you know better looking options, yeah, like I didn't want to play the Atari when I first got the Nintendo. Mm, fair enough. Yeah, no, I continue to play both um, even after we got the Nintendo, but yeah, I can I can understand that. But yeah, it's fun though sharing things with the kids. Yeah, like like it's interesting to 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 watch her learn and how excited she gets over you know just like everything that happens. Like like the first time she jumped over an enemy. Like she like she was so excited she almost threw the switch across the room. <laughs> and, and, and I nice. was like, "Okay, like like I appreciate your enthusiasm, but, but, you know, there's appropriate ways to channel this and throwing the switch isn't one of them. 
Yeah, yeah. The sheer number of things they break is also a problem. <laughs> but, oh, well. Well, it is good to have you on the show, Eric. It's good to be back. All right, and next up is someone new to the 42 cast. She's someone that I met while doing a uh, Dragon Con panel, and that is Jess Combs. How are you doing, Jess? Welcome to the 42 cast. Hey, I am well. Thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to be here. How are you doing? I am doing all right. And um, so since this is your first time on the show, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a podcaster. Uh, that's my my nerd cred, if you will. That's what's gotten me on these Dragon Con panels, aside from just actually volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Which, yeah, you know, who knew? Uh, someone literally told me, all you have to do is submit a form or talk to the right people, and you can do whatever you want. I was like, oh, okay, sign me up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I you I do host my own podcast, and uh, I mainly talk about um, the CW shows, so like Legends of Tomorrow, Star Girl, uh, those kinds of things. So. Very cool. And funny enough, that was the panel <laughs> we were on together. So how about that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cool deal. Um. So though, um, since you already answered my usual follow up question, what uh, you know, what other geeky things do you enjoy? Um, I mean, I, I'm mainly, I love like superhero stuff. I'm a big sci-fi, like fantasy nerd, like mm. going into like books, like Lord of the Rings and all that sorts of stuff. Like I love that stuff. Um, I have admittedly less time for it now. I'm a huge like TV buff too. So mm-hmm. um, pretty much anything like super nerdy and that is truly escapism from what passes for our world today. I am all about it very cool yeah yeah i wish i could read like i used to uh when i was in high school i used to pride myself on reading about a novel a week and that doesn't happen anymore that hasn't happened for a long time (laughs) (laughs) i hear you yeah so i get it yeah yeah i'm I'm mostly a tv person myself now because it's really easy to watch a lot of content on tv and it takes a lot longer to read books so yeah (laughs) all right well it's good to have you on the show jess Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. No problem. All right, so next up, those of you who have been on the show before know what's coming. It is our five-minute controversy. And what the five-minute controversy is is just a little thing for us to talk about before we start the show uh, where we're talking about something that just kind of loosens us up and uh, gives you at home a little insight into how we feel about something being talked about right now in the Geekosphere. So today, what I was going to talk about is... um, the announcement that Disney made that Mulan would be debuting on Disney Plus for the uh, very low, low price of $30 <laughs> on top of what people are already paying to have the Disney Plus service in the first place. So uh, I know a lot of people have been talking about this. A lot of people kind of got stirred up when that news came up. I mean, the one thing is originally it was reported that it would only be like a 48 hour rental, but it is, they have confirmed it is actually, you will own the movie and be able to watch it as often as you want. So the question that I want to ask everybody is, do you think that price tag is reasonable now that we don't have the option? Well. I mean, I know some theaters are opening, but, you know, I don't think that's going to last for long because there are going to be some outbreaks. But so presuming that the movie theater opening thing doesn't really work out very well, is this a reasonable way for people to be able to watch uh, movies and to charge that much money? Um, So let's start with you on this one, Eric. You pay for Disney Plus 
and then they want to charge you $30 on top of Disney Plus in order to watch this on demand. Like, am I getting that right? Yeah, you're getting that right. Uh, that's kind of a letdown. I, like, I could see maybe $10, but $30, that's the price of a DVD. Mm -hmm. And, like, you get something physical that you can put on your shelf. And I'm sure we all understand the need of having shelf stuff. Mm -hmm. But, like, that is really disappointing. Like, I, I, I don't know that I want to pay that much for that. And Mulan was my favorite Disney movie when I was younger. So, yeah, that, that, that is unsettling. Yeah, I mean, some people have brought up, and I should have mentioned this at the top, that, well, if you and somebody else go to the movies and if you buy concessions, that easily costs $30, you know, right there. I mean, do you think that that factors into it? Or do you think the fact that this is a home experience, you know, makes that a little bit different? Right, that is different. As, you know, like, you're going to the theater, you're paying for that artificial buttery-like topping in the garbage can sizes that you get uh, and like uh, you know like you get the theater experience you get the nice big screen you, you know, like the awesome surround sound you might not have that at home and, and you're consuming this in your home so you know like you're not getting the like like you're not getting that experience you know, like like this would be almost exactly like uh, you know you want to watch the Cubs game or whatever. So they charge you $90 in order to have the ability to watch that in your home mm -hmm. because that's what a ticket costs. Yeah. 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 I don't think I like that. Um, Jess, what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. I kind of am going back and forth on this on, on the one hand, it's like you're already paying for the streaming service. You know, you're not getting the full, theater experience yet you're not having to shell out what for most of us would probably be a, a minimum of $25 to go to a show even before you buy any concessions um I, I think the one I think $30 is a little steep but I think the one thing you may have sort of had me going hmm maybe was that did you say we own it 30 bucks we get to watch it as it premieres and then we own the digital copy uh, yeah, as much as you can own anything digital. I still don't trust well, anything fair. that's digital <laughs> as far as owning, but sure. So, I mean, I, I like that concept and I think that's a good precedent to set. That being said, I think $30 is still a little, a little steep. I, I think if I'm already paying for the streaming service, I would at least prefer like a member discount, you know, mm -hmm. whereas someone who's not paying for the streaming service, maybe they can pay the full price. I, that could, I don't know. I, I'm not... 100% sold on the let's premiere movies in a digital way and charge you exorbitant amounts of money. Um, I think it's a little greedy, but on, on the one hand, I understand you gotta you gotta find a way to to remain financially viable. But you gotta understand that people are at home. People are it's a different world. People are losing their jobs. Not to like bring anything down, but you know you gotta be a little reasonable. Give a little bit of concessions, especially if you're already paying for the service. Well, I suppose another wrinkle to this, though, because you brought up the fact that you know the fact that you own it is very nice. But I mean, 
Disney Plus, like movies after they have their theatrical release and after they've been out for a while, end up on Disney Plus anyway. It's just part of the streaming. So are they going to now segregate new movies and say like, no, you have to pay for those? Or after six months or so, will Mulan just become free to everybody that has Disney Plus? In which case, you know, is that then, you know, a thing where it's like, well, why would I pay 30 bucks when if I wait six months, it'll just be part of, you know, the regular Disney Plus, you know, catalog? Yeah, no, I think I think that's an excellent point. Like if that's definitely the case, I mean, it, at least make make people wait for a little while. So I feel like I actually, you know, purchased it and it meant something. But yeah, if you're just going to charge me 30 bucks to own it or see it, own it, whatever, however you want to view that, you know, six months before everybody else and you just dump it on your streaming service for however much a month. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's getting it's a little much, I think. Mm. Uh, Juliet, what do you think? Oh, heck no. <laughs> you were just waiting for that, too. Weren't you? Yeah, yeah. You don't feel strongly about this, do you? Not at all. Okay, look, I get it. Like, I love Mulan. That is also one of my absolute favorite Disney movies. And I've been really looking forward to seeing how they deal with this, especially going more toward the true legend mm-hmm. uh, for a live action movie. But $30 on top of my Disney Plus subscription? I mean, I would pay that, yes, to go see it in a movie theater with reclining heated seats on a giant screen. And I know that my ticket price, if I go to the AMC, especially on a Tuesday, is going to be a little bit, it's going to be a lot less than $30. So that way I can then support the movie theater itself through my purchase of concessions with that giant tub of popcorn and all the butter fat that I want poured all over the top of it. And that's a fantastic thing. You want me to now pay $30 to watch it on my couch, which is not nearly as cool as a reclining heated seat on my tiny little 32 inch television. Mm-mm. I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna buy the DVD with the digital copy. Yeah, I think you and I are the most aligned on this one, Juliet, because like, yeah, my my initial reaction was extremely negative because to me it's like okay you're not giving me a theater experience but you're charging theater prices because because for me at least when my wife and i go somewhere i'm gonna cut out the kids because my kids hate going to the movie theater i know it's strange but for whatever reason so my wife and i usually just go to the movies as a date night kind of thing so it's just the two of us so if the two of us go to a movie i mean the full price tickets are 11 dollars each and the you know if we go at during the matinee time it's like eight dollars each and so either way, $30 is already more than we're going to spend. Now, my wife usually gets concessions. I usually don't. Uh, but let's say, all right, I mean, let's just say it's a wash. Let's say it's $30 either way, watching at home or going to a movie theater. Okay. That, all right. So let's compare it then. Yeah, like you said, the screen and the experience and everything, like going to the movies is an event. Mm-hmm. That's what you're paying the money for. It's for the experience. I mean, I'm gonna going to the theater. Because- to go see IMAX. That's what I fully expect. I'm not Mm. getting IMAX here at my house. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've had people say like, oh, well, some people just like pay for like to go to the theater for something to do. And it's like, well, okay. But I think most people are going there for the, because otherwise you can just wait a few months and get it on Netflix. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, I mean, I, yeah. And now that I do like geeky podcasting and stuff, I also sometimes do like event type movies just because I don't want spoilers. So I probably do go to the theater more often for that reason of like, oh, I got to see the Marvel movies. Otherwise I'll know the entire plot 
Oh no, I definitely know. do because I dress up for the openings. Sure, sure. But then, but again, Mulan isn't a movie like that. Like we all kind of generally know the plot of Mulan anyway. You know, there might be some twists or turns because it's a slightly different take. But again, it's not an event. It's not a Star Wars. It's not a. It's not a Marvel movie or anything like that. Where it's like, you know, if I don't see it at the movie theater, it's going to get spoiled. So even there, it's not like an incentive to shell out a lot of money just to, uh, you know, just for the the privilege of seeing it. You know, it's, regardless it's of where it is. I mean, um, like, and and if y'all, if y'all, as y'all have said. I I know full well that I don't own digital media. Technically, they mm -hmm. could take it away from me at any time, and they'd be like, "Sorry, that was the terms of use." So I buy the Blu-ray DVD digital copy combos every time I can possibly get my hands on them. My my living room, yeah, I'm just gonna announce this on a podcast. It's <laughs> covered in DVDs and Blu-rays because mm -hmm. I love physical media. I love the extras, and that's what I'm gonna save my thirty dollars for. Right, and that was going to be my final point, was that, yeah, and Eric brought it up earlier, is that when you get the Blu-ray, not only do you have the physical media, but you get all those extras. So, yeah, I can pay $30 for a Blu-ray, and then I'll get the movie. Uh, it's going to be the same home experience I'll get by paying the $30 for this, but I'll also get all sorts of additional content and the physical media along with it. So it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's much better. So for something like Mulan, especially, I think this is a bad idea on Disney's part because I think a lot of people can afford to just wait and either wait for it to show up on Disney. Now, they haven't announced that it will show up on Disney, but I'm just assuming that since most movies, when they release it, show up on streaming, you know, within six to nine months or whatever the normal wait time is, that the same thing is going to happen to Mulan. They're going to release it. You're going to have to pay for it. But then after six to nine months, it'll just show up on Disney Plus and something anyone can watch. So they're going to wait for that or they're going to wait to buy the Blu-ray and get all the other stuff with it. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't want this to be the new normal. I'm a little worried about it. I'm also worried. I Like if they reduce the price a little bit, maybe. Mm -hmm. But again, since I'm that person who holds out for the physical copy, and since I still have a 32-inch television sitting here in my living room, with mm. definitely nowhere near surround sound, um, it's not worth that cost to me. It really isn't. Heck, I waited until the movie Creed dropped to $7.99 on digital just so I could buy that copy. Yeah. Well, okay, I mean, you bring up one more thing. We're going to have to move on in a second, but I did want to bring this up because a lot of people are comparing it to how much a family would cost to go to the theater. And yeah, if you've got like a family of five or a family of six, this is a huge cost savings if we're going to the theater. But at the same time, you know, families that large tend to know how to pinch pennies better, too. And so they're not the ones going, you know, when I go to the movie theater, I don't usually see huge families at the movie theater. There's a lot of couples, you know, some like groups of, you know, like 20 something people that are all going as a group, stuff like that. I don't see like lots of like, you know, huge families going to, of course, I don't go to Disney movies at the theater that often. So maybe that's a different, you know, audience, but I'm not. You know, I'm not seeing the huge family, so I'm wondering if, like, that's going to backfire, too, because a lot of those people will be like, yeah, we can afford to wait until it's cheaper. Um, so, yeah, well, we'll have to see on that. I mean, the funny thing is, apparently, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is also going to be released on digital, although I haven't gotten confirmation, I have read an article that said that that'll be $19.99 without being behind another paywall like a Disney Plus or whatever. And for me, that's a much more reasonable proposition uh is is like 19.99 rather than the 37 dollars when you combine move on with the disney plus service party on dude i'll be renting that for a little bit cheaper <laughs> to buy my copy of that i have been waiting for that since i was a kid 
Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. I know it's funny because I'm like, this is a movie I both like am more like anxious to see and will be cheaper. <laughs> I think that's the thing though. That's where they're gonna get you is how much do you want to see it? You know? No, it's true, and that's a fair point. It is definitely a fair point. Um, but yeah, I. I don't know. We'll, we'll definitely see if this works out for that. And I realize part of the reason is Disney lost something ridiculous like $15 billion um, this last quarter uh, because the theme parks were all closed and everything. So I get that they're just desperately trying to make up money however they can, but I don't I don't think this is the... I, I think this is one of those cases where if they drop the price slightly, they would actually make more revenue because more people would be into it. $15 billion is a drop in a bucket to them. Yeah, well... Yeah, probably. I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that because we have already been talking about this for more than five minutes. So, <laughs> all right, we're all in agreement on this one. Is that we? Uh, yeah, none of us is going to be signing up for this right away. I don't think. Um, with just, I guess, as a maybe. Um, but all right. Uh, so yeah, before we talk about our topic, let's pause for a moment for a promo from another fine podcast. Attention, people of Earth. Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? Try the Flopcast! It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. <laughs> Join us! Bring coffee! We're on the ESO network. And we're at Flopcast.net. And we're back. And like I talked about at the top of the show, we are going to be talking about villains in this episode. Now, I think we all know that, you know, uh, every every series or at least every action series, you know, it's a, a good villain is one of those necessary ingredients that you need to have, you know, something for the hero to struggle against. Um, and I had an interesting experience recently doing a panel for Dragon Con where we were talking about like the greatest villains in the military sci-fi genre. And the problem is, and the thing that I kept asking everybody is how do you define the greatest villain? Because there's all sorts of ways that you can slice it. Is it the villain that you have the most fun watching? Is that the greatest villain? Is it the villain that has the most power? You know, the one that could defeat all the other villains if they all were, you know, put in a cage match and he's the one that would come out victorious. You know, is it the sneakiest villain? Uh, you know, like what... And the thing is, we never really got to a consensus, which made the whole thing of what is the greatest uh, villain, you know, kind of difficult. Because in the beginning, it seemed like we were going with the ones that we enjoy to watch the most. But then it kind of morphed when we got into the later rounds because it was one of those, you know... Uh, you know, ranked things where you, you have two people battle it out and you, you advance to the next round, people were starting to say like, well, if these two fought, this is what would happen. And I'm like, well, okay, well, now we're judging by a different criteria than we were judging at the beginning. So I'm just kind of curious what everybody's sort of point of view on is on this. 
what would you say are is the essential you know elements to this is the greatest villain like what would you think is the most important you know factor for that so um let's start with you on this one just yeah no okay so for me what i need a villain to have is i need a villain to be like so convinced of their plan and so convincing that I am sympathetic to the villain and that I am like, you know, I could almost go with you. Like the villain needs to have that sort of buy-in, like that sort of belief, because I I think without that, it, it sort of like cheapens or like kind of like cheesifies, if you will, how that villain can kind of be portrayed. So I find myself gravitating towards the villains that you know, very much believe that they are not the villain. They are the hero in their own story. And I, I feel like that that's an essential element to have a great villain. Okay. Um, what about you, Juliet? I have to do some serious thinking about this because my criteria, I swear, change based on what I'm watching. Um, for me, what defines the, a great villain is how much do I enjoy watching them? How much enjoyment am I getting out of their own enjoyment out of what they're doing I mean I I look at Battlestar Galactica I I look at Die Hard I look at Game of Thrones and I can find villains that I love and that I love to hate heck I can even find them in wrestling but the moment (laughs) that they're not engaging that's just maybe that's it I want them to be engaging to me I love Mm. sympathetic villains oh you give me Snape any day of the week I am all over that um but I just, I, I want a villain that's engaging. I love intelligence in my villains. I I've have noticed that trend, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to win in a cage match when you throw them into the Thunderdome with Loki or somebody as much as I love Loki. Um, but yeah, I, I, it changes based on everything, but engagement, like how much am I like enjoying watching them do their thing? Hmm. Okay. And Eric? Well, for me, the villain has to be like an organic part of the story that they're in that like they, they actually exist as a character within the story that's being told. You know, like if you have a villain like Sauron in the, in the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything. He like, like they always allude to him that, like, yeah, he's there. He's bad. He's like, he's the ultimate evil, but he never actually even appears like other than the eye. He's just, like, like he's just there. Mm-hmm. Or you get somebody like Cobra Commander, where it's like, okay, well, this guy's the villain because he's directly set against the heroes, and that's it. He doesn't have any motivations other than, like, anti-Joe. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I, like, you can't just have somebody who's evil for evil's sake. Like, they, they need to be a character in their story. And if if you don't have that, then what do you have? Yeah. I mean that, and that is one of the sad things, at least when we were growing up is that a lot of the stuff that was aimed at children was very black and white. There were a couple exceptions and and we'll probably talk about those later, but you know, so like you mentioned Cobra commander, perfect example of just like, there's not a character there. That is just a guy that's there to like, just do bad stuff because he likes doing bad stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's even, you know, you know a, like a term uh, like a, like a derogatory term is just saturday morning cartoon villain like you mm. don't have a character you just have an opposition and that's slam 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I mean, when we talk about things as far as like what I consider the greatest villains, I mean, obviously, some of the things we talked about already, like, you know, it's got to be like a well-developed character, and it's going to be somebody that I enjoy watching, things like that. But um, Juliet, I think, touched on it. Um, I like the schemers. I like the intelligent villains. Um, give me, you know, a villain who can actually win sometimes because they've come up with plans within plans and you know have been distracting the heroes or whatever that's what i like so i guess in the way it's i like my villains to be somewhat effectual because that was an issue also with a lot of the stuff when i was a kid that was so frustrating is it's like you know why can the heroes always defeat these villains but never like capture them to like prevent them from doing more harm and so i like villains who at least can sometimes get the upper hand and who can win and that tends to be the more schemey type um and and i like that kind of villain i like the ones who who think um so yeah dude you just hit on it and it just it took me thinking about horror movies to to realize it like i adore freddy krueger as my horror villain and Michael Myers is okay. I really don't care for Jason. And the reason why? They're not scheming. They're not engaging. Mm -hmm. But Freddy Krueger, there you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a that's an actually an interesting uh, distinction there. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about the horror genre at all. Um, and that's a funny point that you bring up, Eric, because as much as I love Lord of the Rings, you're completely right that, you know, Sauron, you know, even though I was saying like, you know, for really good epic stories, you need like a great villain, like you're right, Sauron, he's a presence. He's a thing that like sort of this implacable thing that everyone's worried about, but he is not really the villain um, of the piece in the way that, you know, he doesn't have like a real character like in the story. Um, so yeah, that's kind of an interesting point um so yeah let's talk about some of our favorites then um so let's go just go in the same order so jess what is what is one of your absolute favorite villains oh my gosh i am i, I mean like i i don't know what this says about me but i <laughs> i just i just love the villains and uh -huh. it, it's it's hilarious i i have a four-year-old daughter and she's kind of the same way she's she's like gravitating towards the bad guys and i'm like what is wrong with us but <laughs> At the same time, like, I mean, I don't know. I just, I love a good, a good foil in the story. And so, um, oh, it's, it's very difficult for me to pick like my favorite villain because I feel like I tend to gravitate towards like what I'm watching right now and, and kind of go towards that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw two out. I'm going to say, I'm still going to go with like Harley Quinn. Cause that's like literally mm. my alter ego on my podcast. We do superhero names. That's like a whole thing. And so mm. I, you know, I love Joker. I love Batman. And so I was like, I'll be Harley Quinn. Right. And so I love, I love a good Harley story, even though she's, you know, absolutely bonkers crazy. Um, and then most recently, I absolutely loved Icicle on mm. Stargirl. I was wondering if you might go that way because yeah. that is one of the true joys of that series. And, and funny, yes. all right, so, so I, don't, I don't mean to scoop you. I mean, I don't mean to like just jump all over you on this one. But sort of my comment about the show was the thing that, you know, I think is probably the biggest downside to the show is that the main character is probably the least interesting person on the show. Yes. Because they made the villains so interesting on the show. And Icicle is the best example of that. Anyway, I won't say any more about it, but I was just going to say that that's a comment that I had about, about Stargirl. 
No, absolutely. He's so compelling. And what I loved about him, he's just, well, he's like very calm and cool and collected, but Mm -hmm. he 100% believes his mission and like his mission is for the greater good. And I I think that was one of spoiler. Am I allowed to say spoilers for Stargirl? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You can say, yeah. As long as you tell people that you have people just skip forward like two or three minutes. (laughs) If you don't want to hear spoilers. Yeah. Do, are, are my other other members on the podcast mind if I <laughs> spoil this? Go ahead. I haven't seen any of Stargirl. By the time I finally get around to it, I'll, I will have forgotten this. I don't even actually okay. know what you're talking about. So have fun. Okay. I absolutely love him. And his his whole thing. So he's trying to forge a new America. And he like believes in it. And we all think it's got to be this some like awful like I don't know, like Nazi run kind of thing, like just something completely terrible. And as it turns out, it's it's really not all that bad. It's kind of like this, like everybody's equal and everybody's all for equality and inclusive. And it actually sounds really pretty great so much so that our heroes actually question if they're on the right side and that's what I love about like villains like that is when they have like this amazing mission not either not only that they believe in but as the twist in Stargirl was that it truly was a great mission but the way that they were going to accomplish it was a little bit villainous and (laughs) a little bit mind controlling people and then like oh but about a quarter of them will die from the process yeah okay so a lot of bit villainous like this is what i'm saying an teensy bit villainous. Eensy teensy bit. So I love that. Like the entire, like the mission is good and sound. The way in which they're going to go ahead and go about it, completely bonkers. But what I loved is that the heroes even questioned, like, are we on the right side? And I love that. Yeah. No, no. And that was a great reveal too, because, you know, it's, you know, it's the thing of, yeah, I mean, what they want, they wanted like healthcare for everybody, renewable energy, you know, like all this stuff, like everybody's equal, no discrimination. It's like, it will have to mind control everybody to make this work and about a quarter of them will die. But you know, for everybody else, it'll be great. You you had me up until that point. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. Icicle is such a good villain. Um, uh, So, um, Juliet, what about you? What's one of your absolute favorite villains? I'm kind of right there with Jess. It's really hard to pick a favorite all-time villain Mm. because I have so many. I tend to really love villains if you've ever seen my cosplays and such like that. Mm. Like Harley, she was one of my very first cosplays and was my first tattoo. Yes, (laughs) you and I are kindred spirits. (laughs) I I got sidetracked by the icicle conversation, but I got to ask both of you now, or even Eric, if you've got thoughts on this. Is Harley really a villain? Or is she a poor like person who is manipulated and whenever she's not around the Joker isn't really so bad? Oh no, she dove over that line of her own volition and okay. enjoyed um, And she's found herself in her own villainy. Um, she, she does some good, but I think she still enjoys not towing the line, not towing the other side of that line. Mm. Absolutely, okay. I completely agree. <laughs> I don't know. I keep flashing back to the Batman episode where she just wanted to have like a good, like she was released from Arkham. She was going to like, you know, she just wanted to go to the store and buy a nice dress and everything. And just like the circumstances. Right. Yeah. Like just circumstances were like super bad. And like, it just like, (laughs) 
know? It just, like, made her, like, go bad because, like, she just had to, to, like, <laughs> just get out of the situation. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I always think of Harley as more of, like, a, like a mentally, like, ill person rather than a, uh, an actual villain. I think it's a fine line. It's a fine mm. line. I would say that she's chaotic neutral, mm. not, not so much chaotic evil. There you go. Fair enough. All right, but anyway, sorry. Sorry for interrupting <laughs> you, Julia. No, you're fine. Uh, it's just this is what I was thinking of when Jess was mentioning Harley, but then she moved on to Icicle, and so it kind of, oh, okay. No, it's cool. Like, one yeah. of my favorite villains is the Joker. Um, hmm. But I don't, I, I like yes. to touch on that because <laughs> he is scheming. He is intelligent. He has a fantastic backstory depending on, you know, whichever yeah. multiple choice he's chosen. <laughs> right, I was about to say, he has every backstory. I love that. But <laughs> I, I love villains like Moriarty from Sherlock, who is extraordinarily intelligent, especially the BBC Sherlock. I think that that was one of my favorite portrayals of Moriarty I've seen anywhere. Um, I love that intelligence that borders on insanity. And in fact, they know it too, when they're fully aware of it too. That's, that's even one of the best parts. Mm. I love the villains like Nakago from Fushigi Yugi, where he again has a f- great backstory. He is scheming. You feel sort of sympathetic toward when you find out what his backstory is. But, but then you go to the alternate route and I'm like, I'm not a big fan of Ramsey Bolton who was an incredible villain in Game of Thrones, but he's just not my villain. Eh, nah. You give me the Joker anytime, who probably has tortured more villains than Ramsey Bolton has ever dreamed of flaying alive. Um, but I love the Joker more, and I'll always love him, simply because, I don't know, <laughs> he's engaging. <laughs> How about that? He's much more engaging to me. Okay. Interesting. Okay, I lied. Joker probably <laughs> is my all-time favorite. Sorry. <laughs> Interesting, because yeah, for me with the Batman, I, this isn't my pick, but I'm just gonna say, for me, if I was gonna go with a Batman rogue, I would definitely go Riddler. Um, but that's interesting. Um, Eric, what about you? It's kind of interesting that she mentioned the Joker. Uh, my pick is Kefka Palazzo from Final Fantasy VI. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Very nice. And, oh, wow. And, and and there are some parallels there between the Joker and him. Like, mm-hmm. uh, without going too deep into the story, uh, he was experimented on magically, and it kind of drove him insane. Mm. But during the story, he's not really the main villain. He's kind of a side story at the, or a, a side character at the beginning. He works for the emperor as one of his generals. And then as the emperor is going around doing evil emperor stuff, because I mean, who's ever heard of a, of a benevolent empire? <laughs> uh, he starts working. They all with- say they're benevolent, Eric. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> The British Empire was helping to civilize the world. <laughs> okay. That's what they said. That's what they said. Come on. Come on. That's not my actual viewpoint. I'm just I saying. I love that silence. <laughs> that was, that was it's like amazing. everybody thought that I was being serious. Jeez. It's not mute. I was over here cracking. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I don't mute myself, I interject too much. So. Oh, okay. That's fine. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, so he's helping the Empire do do its thing. And like there isn't a single redeeming quality of this guy. He's insane, he's untrustworthy, he's evil, vile. Like he poisoned an entire castle because the battle was boring. 
uh, you know, endangered bunch of civilians, um, underhanded tactics. And he's, he's a little funny. He has moments. I believe he called somebody a son of a submariner once, and that was kind of humorous. <laughs> Leave but, more out of this. <laughs> uh, but uh, ultimately, the Empire locates the source of magic in this world and tries to bend it to its own wills. And, and Kefka steps in, betrays the Emperor, and just throws chaos into this situation. And actually ends up destroying the world like the first half of the game you are trying to prevent this and you as the as the player lose kefka takes over blows up the world and just absolutely wrecks it and then the second half of the game is getting revenge for that act but he's just such like like he's very joker like in that Mm. you know he like, like he's a little insane he's calculating and but he wins and that's pretty interesting you know like you said you like villains that are actually a threat mm-hmm. well this guy actually destroyed the world mm-hmm. and 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 that's always stood out to me as, as like that was like the first major time that a villain like that had actually won and it was part of the main story not like a side thing mm-hmm yeah, no, that was very surprising to me when I played the game, too. I'm kind of curious, Jess or Juliet, have either of you played Final Fantasy VI? No. Negative. Okay, yeah. No, because I know, Juliet, you, I think like you told me Final Fantasy VII was your first uh, Final Fantasy. So. It, it is, and it's still my love. Okay, I didn't, just didn't know if you had gone back and played any of the earlier ones. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, that is, that is a huge shock, playing Final Fantasy VI and getting to where it's like, uh, you lost. And, and depending on how you play it, you could lose a party member there, too, that you do not get back in that second half of the game, um, which also is somewhat traumatizing, so. Yeah, that's a good pick, Eric. Um, so yeah, for me, for my pick, it's kind of tough for me. Also, kind of splitting hairs over here, but I'm going to go with my number one, and that is Doctor Doom. Uh, for those not familiar with the character of Doctor Doom, he is a Marvel character, uh, Stanley created, hence the alliteration in the name. Uh, but you know, look past the whole thing that his name is Doom. His actual full name is Victor Von Doom. Um, just so we can make it sound like a little more sinister. Um, Doom is one of those sort of like interesting characters, almost kind of like an icicle, like Jess was talking about, where it's like he feels like he should take over the world because he would run it better. And there have been situations where there have been parallel universes in Marvel or whatever where we actually get to see where doom takes over the world and it always is like something where it's like there's no more world hunger there's no more this or that you know like all the things where people are like you know these are problems in our society like doom's taken care of all those now the thing is because he is a totalitarian ruler it's because he's imposed strict penalties on people who violate any of the rules and stuff like that which is where the villainy side comes in but he is legitimate in that he feels like he is the better he would be a good ruler and that he could take care of a lot of the problems that are plaguing the world. He's also a genius inventor. He's one of these characters that often has, you know, multiple levels of plans so that even if you like foil one thing he, he was doing, there's something else going on somewhere else or, you know, like, or it's, he's, he's a really big fan of the decoy strategy where he actually creates robots that look like him. Um, 
that will go do something so that like the villains think they've or the heroes feel like they've defeated him and it's like oh no that was just a robot so um doom and, and again i find doom fascinating not because of the technical skill or any of that stuff but more so because of the fact that he legitimately wants to make things better in the world and sees characters like the fantastic four as being the true villains for holding him back from doing all the good that he can do and that has just always fascinated me uh from a character standpoint um and, and makes him a very very interesting villain to watch i dig it yeah <laughs> i i'm with you yeah no i think dr doom is fascinating and he's another he's another one that i know a little bit less about because i've read less of his material but mm -hmm. yeah he's he's another one of those very cerebral villains he's very calculating and he always has a plan for world domination mm -hmm. yeah and and yeah for anyone who's listening to this who only knows of his character from the movies uh no just don't <laughs> just don't <laughs> neither neither fantastic four movie that has been uh released and I say that because there is the one that was made but never released back in the 90s, um, has gotten Doom right. Um, you know, the first one, he was basically a pretty boy Lex Luthor wannabe, and the second one, he was just some punk kid. Uh, and both of those were just horrible, horrible versions of Doom. So I would actually recommend, if you want to find Doom in a pop culture source that isn't a comic, uh, the 90s animated cartoons, um, did Doom Justice, I think. Uh, he was in the Spider-Man cartoon, uh, the Fantastic Four cartoon, and the Incredible Hulk cartoon. Um, and in all of those, I think that they did Doom right. Um, so that would probably be, if, if you don't feel like reading comics, the, probably the best way to, to find him. Um, Maybe one day we'll actually get a version where they go into the fact that he is almost as good a sorcerer as Doctor Strange. And that's the other interesting thing, yeah, because beyond him being a genius inventor, he is also a sorcerer, and yeah, he is he 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 was in the running for being master of the mystic arts um, or being sorcerer supreme. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so you end up with a character who's almost as smart as Reed Richards almost as tech savvy as Tony Stark and almost as magical as Dr. Strange. And somehow he just doesn't win. No. Yeah. There's the, it, it, what it does is it allows for him to not only have a lot of different stories and a lot of different people he goes up against, but also means that he's someone who could go against multiple characters at once and hold his own, which also kind of makes him interesting from that standpoint. And um, he runs his own country too. So, you know, right. he would be a good world leader. <laughs> That's right. well yeah and that's the thing like uh so there was a comic and, and, I, and i won't you know dominate this with doom talk but there was a time in the 90s when uh doom was thought to be dead and so the fantastic four are like hey we liberated you people and they're like throwing crap at them like the people of of uh, Latveria, which is the country that he runs are like throwing things at him because they're like he was the thing that like kept our country safe and like now that he's gone like the other countries are going to like you know like take us over you know one of our neighbors is going to take us over and so it's like the people there actually love him so that, that again is interesting because it's not like the normal thing of when you have a totalitarian state that you know it's like the people just sort of silently resent the leader but you know they, they they're just worried about speaking up it's like no the people of latvira actually think this guy is great so um again i, I just find that fascinating because he's also got that element of the charismatic 
you know, leader also that he can just like inspire confidence in people and, and have them want him to be their leader. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. He definitely falls into that weird category. I was thinking that I, I have like this group of villains that I love to be terrified by. Mm. And I have a group of villains that I love and that I love to hate. And I think Dr. Doom falls into that middle category. Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, because I know you've been watching Gargoyles recently, he's very much like a David Xanatos type. And you love him. He's got the charisma. You (laughs) love to hate him. The villains you love and the villains you love to hate often fall into that same, that Venn diagram right there. Right. (laughs) Very true. All right, Jess, what's another pick? Oh, goodness. There's. Uh, there's it doesn't have okay, to okay. be ranked like, oh, Icicle and Harley were number one. I'm going to go to number <laughs> It can just be any, any villain. <laughs> What's the first one off the top of your head? Uh, can, I, can I go non like superheroes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, any any villain from anything. Yeah. I, I was recently talking to a lot of Mr. Robot, and uh, White Rose just popped into my head. Does anybody watch Mr. Robot? I have planned to. It's on my list, but I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. I can yeah, go. I've, I've heard a lot of good things. <laughs> it's an amazing show, uh-huh. and you guys should all watch it. Okay. okay. Um, did you all watch? This is an interesting concept that I think would be cool to bring up. Have you guys watched The Americans? No, but I heard many things about it from a coworker. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing with The Americans. Without any spoilers, the whole thing you're following a family of well the at least the parents are russian spies that have infiltrated the u.s and you're following their story who arguably based on where we live would be our our villains or our enemy Mm -hmm. so it's very interesting to gain the sympathy like of this entire family throughout the run of the show and you it down to the very end you are rooting for them to win which is odd because we know how history turns out and they definitely don't win. So I think it's, it's kind of a, a brilliant character study and what they've done is they've taken someone or someones that should be on the wrong side and they make them completely sympathetic to the point that you are rooting for them at the end. It's very interesting. That does sound interesting. Yeah, I've seen lots of advertisements and about the Americans, but I don't know anyone. I'll tell you, I didn't know anyone personally who's watched it, and uh, there's just so much other stuff, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's in my queue to uh, to watch. So that's, no, that's fair. That's, that's interesting, though. I'm I'm glad that it because I didn't know if they were like sympathetic or if you were just basically watching like, no, this is like these are bad people. Um, so that is interesting. It walks a line. It is it is a very good show. I would mm. highly recommend. Okay. And uh, Juliet, what's another pick? Um, well, if you know me, then this is going to be very obvious. Uh, I'm going to say Beetlejuice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, look, he's got the charisma. He's technically the bad guy of the movie, although honestly, the Dietzes could be seen as the bad guy of the movie. But he's pretty fantastic. And even if you venture into the cartoon that came out later, he's... Again, he's a he's sort of a villain, but not. He's a foil. He kind of reminds me a lot of Q from Star Trek, and maybe that's why I like him. So my family and I had a debate about this just before I got in here on whether or not Q would qualify as a villain. He's definitely an antagonist. Is Q a villain? 
I think sometimes yes, but I think as the series moves on, no. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. Like, do trickster characters fall under villainy necessarily? Even if they're, I mean, sometimes they definitely do. Like Loki in the early movies, like who's definitely a villain as well as being a trickster. But um, I don't know. Sometimes trickster characters are just there to inject chaos, but they're not necessarily evil. So I don't know. Exactly. I, yeah. I'm not sure yeah. she was a villain, but anyway, sorry. But that's what Beetlejuice sometimes reminds me of. He's like I said, he's yeah. technically a villain. He's ready and happy to kill everyone to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I watch that movie constantly just because it makes me laugh and I love watching him. And it might just be Michael Keaton's performance as Beetlejuice, but he's extremely watchable. He's in the movie for all of like 13 minutes, I think. Mm. but he's made that much of an impression on my brain I'll, I'll go with it okay okay very cool um i like the variety we're getting um eric what's your uh what's your next pick uh for my next one i it's kind of a twofer because they're both from the same series and f- and uh have similar roles but uh shinomori aoshi and hajime saito from Veroni kenshin mm-hmm and more so Aoshi because he was directly an antagonist and Saito is more of a past antagonist who's not exactly friendly. But, but they're, they're both characters within their universe. You know, like they're not just some mystical force or non-presence there, but they, they both have character arcs, you know, like, like beginning, middle and end. And like, they're very relatable within that context. So, so Aoshi was the commander of a bunch of uh, spies in Edo Castle during the Japanese Civil War. And he, they were directly kept out of the combat. So they never got to prove themselves in the fight. And like the war ended, they went on to go do other things, except for this one small group within his, uh, band or team or whatever you want to yeah, call they, it. Yeah, they, they were the basically the spies for the government. They're the only right. Roban. They're basically ninja that worked for the government. Right. So, like, they can't do anything else but fight. So they hire themselves out to local thugs or whoever needs their services. And, well, a, a drug dealer hires them to protect his little cartel, and they run afoul of Kenshin and their friends, and Finally, he's like, okay, this guy here who is claimed the strongest in, in that war, we can defeat him and claim that title for ourselves. Like, so, so he has very human motivations. Like, he's not just evil because he wants to be. So, so they get into a fight, uh, Aoshi and Kenshin, and, and Kenshin wins. And like, uh, some other stuff happens, and his group ends up dying like uh, the four members that he had with him they uh they end up dying protecting Aoshi's life so he goes and he decides that okay it does like he's going to train himself and make himself the best that he can possibly be in order to defeat Kenshin and then take that title of strongest and give it to his followers graves as like you know like I'm gonna I I think he said he's gonna use it as flowers or whatever like yeah 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 yeah, it's like the flower that he'll lay on their grave is that they can claim the title of strongest, yes. Right, so so he goes and he just completely throws away his 
like all of his humanity, throws away his old allies, everything, sacrifices everything for the goal of being able to defeat Kenshin. And, you know, like through the backstory that they're given, like you can kind of feel this guy's pain, you know, uh, of, of what he's going through and why he's doing this. Well, it's and, the it's the burden of being commander and being responsible for them and then knowing that you failed in your responsibility to them. Right. And yeah. and then Kenshin finally points out to him that, hey, you know, what you're doing isn't helpful to the people that you've lost. You're actually, you know, turning them into evil spirits because of this. And you need to become the person that you were. And then he finally realizes that, you know, throwing away his humanity was a bad thing, but he still doesn't give up on his goal of trying to defeat Kenshin. You know, like he has one last attempt and ultimately he fails because, you know, good guys got to win. <laughs> but just his, like his complete story arc from beginning to end just made him very engaging. Yeah. And like one of my favorite characters of all time in any medium. Yeah. Oh God, Aoshi's such a good choice. <laughs> I love him. Except in the live action movie when they gave Oh, him. well, I mean, that wasn't really Aoshi. That was sort of, kind of, maybe sort of modeled after him, but not even the same name. So we'll just ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh yeah. And even like the way that they like show his fighting in the animated version. I just absolutely love like the whole thing of he's just all about like just speed and dodging and then just like hitting you when you've like, you know, like overextended yourself and stuff. I right. Love it. And, and uh, in the manga, which I know you haven't read, but they mm -hmm. gave him an extra additional arc of he's decided that he's going to exist specifically to people that abuse um, the shadow or like, like, I think that's what he calls it, but, but, but people that uh, exist in shadows and bring harm to others, he's going to mm. specifically exist to take them out. And, and oh, so he becomes Batman. Except he kills. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, well, 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 if Zack Snyder was writing it. <laughs> All right. No, I'm not going to, I'm going to go to the switch. Oh, she with Zack Snyder. Anyway. Oh. Like, All right. But like he's not like your standard Vegeta type character where he's mm -hmm. definitely evil to begin with and then he's you know the anti-hero. Mm -hmm. You know, like he I mean he's still his own character, but um it's 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 just really compelling his journey. And and you know, like villains don't normally get a journey like that, and it it's cool. Yeah. No, Aoshi, uh, to me, is the main reason to watch Kenshin, is for him. Like, <laughs> I love Kenshin, too. I mean, Kenshin's fun and everything, but, like, Aoshi's story is, like, that's, like, 90% of, like, my joy from that series is Aoshi, so, you know, that's... Oh, he's so good. <laughs> oh, and I know Juliet hasn't seen Kenshin. Just, do you, are you an anime fan? Have you seen Kenshin at all? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways that I could go on this one. Um, you know, I was kind of debating, like, oh, do I pick this character, that character? You know, like, where do I go with this? But since Eric went with an anime, I'm going to go with an anime. I'm going to go with Char from um, Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, so this also has to do with my fascination with characters who wear masks. 
Um, and the idea that, so Char was this kid, basically. His father, this is in the future where humans have moved out, not like into like space, like far in space, but there are like these floating like habitats around the earth that they call space colonies, but they're self-contained like satellites, basically orbiting the earth. And basically because you know, it's hard to live in space and everything. Like they were always considered like sort of like a second class citizenry until this guy, um, um, you know, basically like led like a sort of peaceful revolution. It was supposed to be a peaceful revolution, but then it was basically taken over by these other people who wanted it to be a, a, a violent revolution where they murdered this guy and took his place, basically saying that the earth killed him so that they could sort of like space colonies could be like their own independent, you know, group. And they wouldn't be controlled from Earth. Um, so, Shar uh, um, is actually uh, a, a new identity that this kid takes. His, his real name was Casval or something like that. And um, so, because his father had been murdered, he was the son of this guy who was the peaceful side of it. And his whole like life is centered around the idea of, I am going to be like the perfect little soul. I'm going to pretend to be this other person. He creates this name of Shar Aznable to be this other person, become like the best soldier in, uh, and the Zeon family is the name of the family that took things over, like for the Zeons, so that I can infiltrate them to the point where I can take them out. That's his whole life has been like this. And we see it like with the story already in progress and having no clue that this was his backstory and just seeing him as this horrible villain that's like, you know, like attacking the good guys and like they can't do anything because he's also like the best mecha pilot, um, you know, in existence until um, Amaro shows up. Um, and so... You know, it's it's he's this horrible, you know, like implacable foe. But then you find out that yeah, he he is a foe, he is a villain, but he's also not for like the bad guys of the series. And that's just a really fascinating character. And this whole idea of having like the like so much hatred and everything that you have to like put it behind a mask, and then making it a literal mask. I, I just find that so fascinating, like psychologically with characters. Um, so uh, so yeah, I I find him a very compelling character. Um, at the end of the day, he actually doesn't do so well. He does get to kill one of the Zeons, but most of the other ones die from other causes. Um, but um, sort of oddly, though, the granddaughter of the original Zeon guy who took Char's father's place, he sort of like, because after all the other kids die and she's left, you know, as an orphan, he kind of takes care of her, which is also this kind of, you know, weird thing of he's trying to like, well, this child doesn't have any part of this. It's not her fault. And so he has this sort of like almost, um, you know, uh, you know, like I, I will, I will make up for things by like helping the next generation be better, you know, kind of thing that I also find like really like fascinating. Um, so yeah, I, I really like, I really like his character. Um, so it's got the planning side of it, but it's also got the, you know, the side of it of you can sort of see his point of view and how things got so bad for him and he's not a complete villain because he also has this sort of compassionate side to him also. So Eric, I'm just curious, do you have, have you seen Mobile Suit Gundam? Do you know who Shar is? Sorry, mute. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, okay. I know who Kushar is. Okay, okay. Yeah, I know, we're talking, I know Juliet doesn't like mecha anime and it doesn't sound like Jess really knows what we're talking about at all, so, um, yeah. but yeah. I, I can um, appreciate the description of that villain. I mean, I'm, I'm all for a sympathetic, almost an anti-villain is, is kind of what it sounds like. 
Yeah, but he still doesn't like the hero either. So it is kind of like he is still a villain. Yeah, but he's kind of a complicated one. Right? Exactly. Uh, um, like, like I know who, like, like I know who he is, but I'm not super familiar with the original Gundam. Okay, I do know sure. he's. I do know he's the character that Zex is based off of in, in Gundam Wing. Yes. Yes. Uh, Zex like, is a Zex is a riff on Char. Yeah. Like, like almost verbatim well <laughs> yeah but it's not quite and yeah zex is as much as i love gundam wing and as much as i love zex zex is no char <laughs> so i'm just gonna say char is better um he is prettier <laughs> yeah zex is prettier yes yes i'll agree with that um but anyway all right so jess uh, a third villain third villain okay i'm gonna go reverse flash <laughs> Ooh, okay so we're yeah. we talking specifically cw version um i'm gonna lean on cw version just because that's what i'm the most familiar with and the mo- it's also i think like the more recent portrayal of it and just like i'm, I'm but i'm going back to season one tom cavanaugh just doing his thing oh my gosh like I, what i just absolutely love what they did with that villain and and i know he has an extremely rich comic history um but it's just i love that he he inserts himself you know into the like in basically like into barry's life to kind of coordinate all of these specific things to happen earlier than they should have happened just so that you know he can get his powers back and ultimately like make it make Barry become the flash and then like make it to the future just to be able to do it all over again. Almost. I don't know. Like I love, I love Eobard Thon and what Tom Cavanaugh did with him is just extremely calculating like that villain that is always 10 steps ahead, but like, not like a 10 steps ahead that you can even see, like you can maybe think of the next step, but he's so far beyond that. I just, um, I love what Tom Cavanaugh did with that character. Yeah. Yeah. It was great back when the flash plot lines actually made sense. And, yes. uh, and <laughs> you know, Thawne, Thawne's storyline actually made sense because I still like when they didn't like fix the timeline of his existence, like I'm still like scratching my head every time he shows up is it's like, mm-hmm. why, what, what, what is going on here? And, and, you know, he wanted to get back home. Now what is his motivation? I don't know. But anyway, yes, the first season was perfect. Like, yes. like perfect villain. Um, like it, it was, it was so good in how they portrayed that, and the fact that Barry was left in the dark for most of it, and us as viewers knew what was going on for a long time, you know. But Barry had no idea, and so we could sort of watch the stages, you know, unfold. I, I thought that that was a very well done. Oh yeah, it built that suspension. I love. I it was, it was great. Flash, season one of Flash is. Uh, it was so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's something you've seen, right, Eric? You you watched the first season at least. I have seen the first season. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, Juliet, what's a what's a third villain pick for you? Okay, I'll let you choose. Do you want a favorite villain that terrifies me, or a favorite charismatic villain? Um, let's go with terror, I guess. Skynet. Ooh, okay. Yes, a very different kind of villain. I realize that most of the villains that terrify me, but I still love to watch or love to like watch anything about them, are inhuman villains like Skynet, mm-hmm. the Daleks, aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, Skynet has terrified me since I first watched T2 when I was 12 years old. Um, the whole idea of this, not just the, the T-1000, but the actual computer mind behind it that, dis that became sentient and decided, it's, as soon as it became aware of itself, knew, decided that humanity was a threat to its survival and what was the one thing it could do to protect itself? Wipe out humanity. And I'm like, whoa. And that has stuck with me for years. And every, like, my favorite iterations of the Terminator movies, the first, the first two movies, Terminator Genesis, which I did enjoy. And I, love, I enjoyed Dark Fate as well. But I think Genesis might have given a fantastic version of Skynet mm -hmm. in human form because, spoilers, it takes over John Connor. Mm -hmm. um, and that broke my heart. But yeah, Skynet's one of those that I am terrified by, but I still love at the same time. Mm. But yeah, Inhuman, for some reason, I guess, just the Inhuman villains, when done right, can just be utterly terrifying and yet absolutely wonderful in my mind. That's really good. I like that. Yeah, because, uh, you know, when I'm thinking of villains, I was trying to think of more of like personalities, you know, and even for characters that didn't have much of one, like seeing them visually, but like Skynet, we don't usually see visually. I mean, Genesis was the exception. You know, that's just more of a, of a, you know, a concept or a force, but yeah, because I, it's I driving all that action. For me, I went into, uh, I pulled from the books as well that I read by S.M. Sterling. He wrote a fantastic trilogy called the T2 Trilogy that takes place direct, as soon as Terminator 2 ends, and then, and this was what, written well before any of the sequels that came out afterwards. Mm -hmm. And Skynet is very much a presence in there. Like, you get into Skynet's thought processes and all of that. But even just the way that the Terminator in T2 described it to John how it became self-aware and decided that humanity was a threat that just description of this computer mind and has yeah 1990s that date in 1997 I was on the phone with a best friend like hoping the world wasn't going to end that night <laughs> what it was right do, after my birthday <laughs> do you read um or did you see the article about like how they've like started like having like AIs learn from just reading like everything on Twitter and how they like instantly become like, you know, like right wing, like super like warmongering misogynist. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, this is how Skynet starts is like somebody just plugging in a, an AI to Twitter and having it learn like how to like, like how like life works from Oh yeah, no, Twitter. I'm terrified. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and it's like it's funny to me because it's like you know all these movies have been out for like decades at this point, but like scientists, they're still like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we work for the Department of Defense and like teach like you know AIs like you know like all these things? <laughs> it's like no, no, this is not a good idea. Please don't. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's just great though to think about the fact that the villains that I I mean, when they're in human form, they're not quite as terrifying, maybe, like mm -hmm. Cylons and stuff. But when they're Daleks or something, the sound of a Dalek voice still gives me chills. Mm. So part of the thing about a non-human villain though is you can never really get inside of the mind of something that's not human. Exactly. You can't you, you can't fully understand what their thought process is because it's an alien mind it could be anything so like like you might see it do something that's not logical or like well i wouldn't do it. well it's not human so you can't expect it to do that 
or it could do something that you don't expect because you don't think like it. And, and yeah, you know, the unknown is like a huge fear thing. You know, it's one of the reasons that I love Michael Myers is one of the villains that terrifies me that I love to watch, but he terrifies me is because, and disregard anything that Rob Zombie ever did with Michael Myers, because those are just abominations to the horror world. But Michael Myers, you don't understand why he does what he does. And I don't want to, because if I did, I would have this feeling toward him and understanding. And I don't want that. I want to be scared. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Eric just drew the distinction, though, between good sci-fi and bad sci-fi, because, you know, as as much as I love Star Trek, like the idea that like all these aliens are basically just like humans with the same value systems and everything is kind of like, yeah, probably wouldn't work that way. You know, we wouldn't really have aliens that are that relatable. You know, <laughs> but I love the alien mind. I mean, like the movie Aliens. There mm-hmm. we go. Yeah, no, I always find it very interesting when like writers really double down on the whole idea of this is alien. And so, therefore, it should not be something that you should understand. Um, and so, I think The Arrival has been a, was a movie that did a fairly good job of trying to depict, like, a truly alien beings. Um, not that it has anything to do with our villain discussion, but uh, I, I did like that movie just for the fact of them trying to, you know, depict something that was very different from what we would, you know, understand. Um, all right, so Eric, what's your what's your third pick? Uh, so I did one video game and one anime. Uh-huh. Um, oh, going to a literary villain, mm. uh, Raceland Majeer from the Dragonlance books. Okay. I don't know if any of you have ever read any of them. There's like a hundred of them. So. Yeah, no, I know there's a ton of them, but yeah, I've never read any of the Dragonlance books. But like, like the main or the main continuity i would say is uh three six seven eight books i want to say and then everything else is like either side or or like a side story or an expansion or so far in the past that it it, like why does it even say Dragonlance on it or but anyway so in the first three books raceland majir is one of the heroes of the story like, so it's eight companions that set out to try to find the true gods because the gods have been missing for like 300 years and, and they come across them. But one of the evil gods is gaining power and wants to take over. So they have to set in motion the events that take her down. And he's one of the good guys to, or in the third book of that first series, though, he betrays the heroes. Like uh, uh, he's a wizard, uh, one of the youngest people to ever get that title and uh his life has been real hard he's like frail health uh the test that he had to take to become a wizard basically destroyed what fragile health he had uh he got cursed with his golden skin and he has hourglass eyes that see time as it affects all things so 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 even elves which age incredibly slowly everything just ages and dies and crumbles and turns to dust in his vision so like so like he doesn't even really have a concept of what beauty is because he can't perceive it. Everything's death, everything's decaying. Uh, because of his sarcastic nature, he's never really had any friends except for his twin brother, which he really resents because he feels that his brother got all of uh, the good stuff in life and he got stuck with all the bad. So like his brother's well-loved, uh, tons of girlfriends, everybody likes being around him nobody likes racing nobody trusts him 
So like they, so like they keep like uh, every time something bad happens, they're always like accusing him of having something to do with it. And like he's part of the hero team, takes a lot of crap at the at the end of the third book in the first series. He betrays everybody, turns evil, goes off to do his own thing. At the end of that book, they did defeat the Queen of Darkness largely through what Raceland did. But um, uh, he he like he makes it absolutely clear that he only did this to further his own goals. He like the only thing he's wanted in his entire life is power over other people, and he doesn't care about anybody else except for himself. In the second set of three books, it's all about his journey to de- or to overthrow the Queen of Darkness and become a god himself. And he does some seriously sketchy stuff in order to make this happen. But, uh, and he succeeds, you know, another villain that, that you know, does what he wants or, or actually accomplishes what he sets out to do. He dethrones the Queen of Darkness, becomes a god, ends up killing all of the gods in the Pantheon, and it basically destroys the world. Uh, his brother, through a quirk of magic, gets sent to the future and sees what happens and then tries to go back and undo what he did. And uh, at the very end, you see uh, like Caramon and Raceland are standing there. Caramon tells him, like, look, Raceland, you win. This is what happens. Like, everything is destroyed. And, and then Raceland sees that and decides to willingly step down and let himself fail and be killed by the queen. Uh, in, in essence, sacrificing himself to, uh, I wouldn't say really protect everything else, but, you know, make it so the world doesn't get wrecked. And, like, it's not really a redemption arc because he flat out says, you know, if he, like, if he knew how it was going to end, he would make the same choices that he made because if he did otherwise, it wouldn't be him doing the choosing. And that was, you know, you know, like that was really kind of cool reading that, you know, like, like, yeah, this could have played out differently, but that's not what I wanted. This is what I wanted. This is what happens. And these are the consequences of that. And he accepted those. Hmm. That is interesting. It kind of reminds me, I'm going to throw up an anime again. It kind of reminds me of Record of Lotus War. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, the idea of just like there was this group of heroes in the past and one of them became the emperor of like evil, you know, and then they fought and then there's even yet another generation below that, you know, like I just learned like the idea of these things happen, you know, and and time keeps passing and like sometimes heroes become villains Um, and, and I like I like that sort of epic scale kind of thing also. So very interesting. Yeah, like I wouldn't say that he was ever really a good guy, mm. as even in the D and D modules that the story was based off of, he was listed as evil. Oh, okay. But, but he was on the good side for for much of the first adventure until he got strong enough that he didn't need everybody else. But uh, yeah, like there's a reason why he's largely considered the most popular character in the entire series. Just like like he's sympathetic he like he's cunning he's sarcastic and you know like 
all that's on the good side, but, but like you can see his faults, his faults are clearly defined and he operates within their parameters. Mm -hmm. And, and he's just a very, uh, very driven character. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so again, there are a whole bunch of characters I'd love to talk about, but um, I'm going to try to go for someone a little bit different than the ones I've talked about in the past. Um, and so I'm going to go with the whole idea of loving to hate somebody and the more charismatic side. And um, I, I am going to pick the very first version of the master from Doctor Who. Um, played by Roger Delgado, and that is my favorite version of the Master. Um, in fact, even the newspapers at the time referred to him as the man you love to hate, and it was very much that idea of this is a very charismatic villain. Um, he's, you know, someone who's very self-assured of himself. Um, you know, I mean, his motivations weren't the most interesting. He just wanted to, you know, rule the universe, but it's his interaction with the doctor that actually made him the most interesting because later versions of the master have just been like evil for evil's sake or, you know, basically just borderline insane or, you know, all kinds of things. But like, this was a guy that you very much got the impression of. He completely respected the doctor and just thought like, Hey, we should team up and do this thing together. And so it's a sort of friend aspect of the villain of and that sort of complication of things of you know like we were friends and you know we should do this together because we both agree that the way like that that our home society is is wrong and instead of going out and just like exploring or seeing the universe we should control it and I, I like that. I always liked the interactions between them. I always thought that he was, was such an interesting, like, you know, magnetic, you know, character. And just like, yeah, it was just very fun to watch. So um, I, I, I get that most people nowadays have not seen those early episodes of Doctor Who, but um, is, uh, he, he is my favorite version of the Master. We're getting to them. I know. We'll get to that eventually, Juliet. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, we're going a little bit long now. We, you, so uh, I definitely want to wrap things up here. Um, but before we do, um, I, I don't want to, I don't know if any of you have lists or what. I know Eric came up with an actual list, but are there any other villains you just want to give a shout out? We can't devote a whole lot of time. You can't you know, take a few minutes to talk about them and their backstory, but anyone else where you feel like this is just such a good villain that we should at least mention them. Uh, I know a few of us have already thrown out a few alternate names anyway, but uh, so Jess? Oh dear. Um, <laughs> I probably should have put together a more formal list, but uh, one one that did pop into my head, it, it's again, it's it's not really like a, a superhero or like sci-fi kind of thing, but um, I love the blacklist. And so uh, Red Reddington. Okay. Uh, Juliet? Um, I'm just going to list them off real quick. Uh, okay. Severus Snape, Hannibal Lecter, Negan from The Walking Dead, Randall Flagg from The Stand, and I realize I'm just naming off a crap load of charismatic villains. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sad. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, you know what you like. I do. <laughs> Eric? Uh, Light Yagami and or L from Death Note. Yes! Like, that was a very interesting dynamic, and I, like, I list both of them because of their relationship each is each other's villain and like 
might have to save that for a whole other topic. Okay. Oh, so that so that you didn't want to mention any others? No, that uh, just that one specifically. I mean, like 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 you you took my Doctor Doom. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to mention Min May. <laughs> Oh, oh! I thought we were being serious. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what, what Min Mace is seriously the villain of the Macross series. Yes, there, there is no doubt in my mind that regardless of anything else that you see in the Robotech franchise, Min May is the villain. Okay. Uh, she, she's not. She's not supposed to be, but she is. And <laughs> horrible, uh, like all the worst aspects of like the the female love interest type character that you can have, it, it's all distilled into into Minde. So so bad, St- so rage inducing after <laughs> how many years? Yeah. And uh, the last one is that nobody convinced me other uh, of, or nobody can convince me otherwise. But Albus Dumbledore is absolutely the villain of Harry Potter. He kind of is. <laughs> I like the way you think, Eric. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> oh man! I mean, I'm out there with my sign on the table that says Dumbledore was the villain. Convince me otherwise. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're not going there right now because I don't want to have a debate over that. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, for me, just some honorable mentions. Uh, I mentioned Xanatos earlier, but I'll just like name drop him. He's in the same sort of wheelhouse as Doctor Doom, though, which is why I wasn't going to go like pick him as a as a separate character. Um, uh, performed by Jonathan Frakes, though, so like definitely another level of charisma just because of that performance. But uh, yeah, um, um, Xanatos is a fantastic villain. Um, I also really love Magneto. Um, mostly because I think Magneto's kind of right. Um, so even though he's supposed to be the villain, I was always, as a kid, kind of gone like, well, you know. <laughs> it's so funny how, like, every time they're like, oh, Eric, you can't do this. But every time, like, what or what Magneto was afraid of is what happens. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so that's what makes him such a fascinating character. And also I do like the friendship of the fact that Xavier and Magneto can respect each other. but you know they're in def- very different like they feel very differently about the problem that they both see and like what the way is to handle it so um i always thought that was cool and another one i'm going to bring up just because i love the idea of the hero becoming the villain is sinestro um from green lantern uh not that the movie did a great job for him but just like the, the sinestro character type you know from um from green lantern uh, of the idea of he was a green lantern and in fact, he was considered the best Green Lantern because he kept like evil like from his sector, you know, but then they find out the reason why was because he was, you know, brutal and, you know, super controlling. And so, you know, then, you know, they, they, they sort of ousted him and he started getting his power from a different source and all that. So, you know, I love that idea of the, the hero who starts down the slippery slope of deciding that, you know, I can do... I can do more good by doing this or doing that and then just sort of like spiraling, you know, into where he's doing things that maybe years ago he wouldn't think of doing or wouldn't be right. But like now he's just sort of like, and justify the means. Um, 
So, so I like that. It's what should have been the arc for Anakin Skywalker, but instead we went into Greek tragedy mode of, my wife's going to die unless I do this. And then that just kind of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but nobody who knows how words work should have been surprised by Sinestro's character. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the problem. I hate the 60s naming conventions of we'll name a character by, you know, like there is like a trait, you know. So Sinestro, hmm, sinister. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. All right. But <laughs> all right, guys, this was a lot of fun. I, I'm really glad, you know, every once in a while I, you know, sometimes we get into some of these like, uh, oh, let's review a movie, let's review a TV show. And I kind of like doing just like, let's just talk about our favorites of something, you know, kind of topic. So it is um, fun. I just try to stay away from some of like the more well known ones and Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, this kind of a topic is fun because we can like recommend things to people to like, hey, if it sounds interesting to you, go check this out. So, um, yeah. All right. So um, let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find us. So let's start with you, Eric. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you can't really find me anywhere on the internet. My site's down. But oh. What happened to your site? I haven't updated it in a long, long time. Uh, okay. And not much time for content. Okay. Fair enough. All but right. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Juliet, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Bye, everybody. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Rumi Elf, R U M I E L F. Or you can find me on Twitter at the underscore visible underscore elf. And if you're really interested in finding me, uh, you can check out Time Streams, the podcast that I'm doing with Nathan, where we watch some classic Who from the very beginning. And I have never seen these as we're going through them. So it's pretty cool. Yes. I love plugging that multiple times. <laughs> I mean, I can't help it's it. A, I got to do yeah, it. I know. Yeah. It's a ton of fun. It is a ton of fun doing this with Julia. Um, and Jess, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you. Bye, everybody. Yeah, I am a co-host of Tomorrow's Legends. And we primarily talk about Legends of Tomorrow when it's on the air. And we recently picked up Stargirl in the off season. So we are going to hope that those don't air on the same night in 2021 and continue covering them both. Uh, so if you want to find us on... Twitter, it's at Tomorrow's Legends, but with one R, just to make it more complicated. Uh, and that's probably the best place to find us. If you're looking for a website, it's tomorrowslegends.libson.com. That one has two R's. Okay. And yeah, um, Juliet, Eric, and Jess, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Thanks for you. having me. So that's it for our discussion on villains, but we want to know what you think. Did you like us talking about villains? Did you not like us talking about villains? What other topics would you like us to cover on the show? And you can let us know in a bunch of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to tweet to us or go on Instagram at 42cast. Another way is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Another way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. And another way is to leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes, or I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts.
So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can talk to us. There's a lot of different ways that you can convey whatever to let us know how we're doing on the show. I'd really appreciate it. It'll help us improve. So please think about doing that. The other thing that I want to mention is the ESO Network Patreon. That is a way for you to support all the shows on the network. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network, looking at the tiers, looking at what you get from the various tiers and then just contributing if you're able to and you want to. I also want to mention my other podcast, which is Time Streams. That's where Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. It's a lot of fun. If you like our banter or if you just want to hear our banter, go over there, listen to an episode. You don't have to see the Doctor Who episode that we're covering to understand the show. It'll definitely help, but we kind of explain all the essentials anyway. So you can go over and listen to it regardless. Also coming soon is Legendary Forces, which is where myself and several other people are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. And there is a lot more than I thought there was. That's every show, every cartoon, every comic book, every novel that deals with the Star Wars characters and it's part of the Star Wars franchise. Whether it's considered canon by Disney right now or not, we're just going to go through all of it in chronological order, sort of talk about the expanding universe of Star Wars, and also critique the media, whatever it is that we're covering that time, for its enjoyability. Like, is it any good? Should you check it out, even if it isn't considered canon anymore? So you can check that out if that sounds interesting to you as well. Finally. Just wanted to mention, I am still on track to go to Chicago TARDIS this year. I will be taking part in Virtual Dragon Con. I've already recorded a panel where we're talking about, uh, it's a tribute to Sean Connery episode. It looks like I will probably be on an episode dealing with the 40th anniversary of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy miniseries. It's also likely that I will be on one about the 50th anniversary of The Master from Doctor Who, but I'll keep you guys posted. I will let you know what other panels, what's going to happen, and those will all play during Dragon Con this year. So if you pay $10, that's the virtual subscription to Dragon Con, you get access to all the video content from Dragon Con. So they're basically created two tiers now. The in-person tier is the $5 million mortgage your house, you want to attend Dragon Con thing. It's like $200 plus per person. It's, it's, it's kind of insane, but you get to go to Dragon Con, which is a you know hugely fun experience. But that's just like every year. That's like everything they've done in the past. But now there's this $10 one that says, hey, Dragon Con's putting out virtual content you can still have some flavor of Dragon Con, and that's what I'm participating in. So there you go. So check that out also if you're not going to Dragon Con and you want to. If Dragon Con's always been out of your reach price-wise or because it's just too far away, now's your chance to get a taste of Dragon Con. So, I mean, there's that. But that's a wrap for our episode this week. Join us back next week when Bill Duke will be joining us. Yes, Mr. Bill Duke, famous from his roles in so many, many movies, but like Commando, Predator, Action Jackson. Most recently, he was Agent Odell in Black Lightning. He's been in a ton of roles on TV and in movies throughout the years. He's also a director, a producer. He's lived a very fascinating life. He was very generous, gave of his time to come on the 42 cast. So I was able to interview him. And so, yeah, check that out next week. But until then, this is Nathan, signing off. 
You have been listening to the 42 Cast, copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.